All right, and welcome to another episode of the Lions Guide podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring the success stories of our guests and their lessons learned, interview other subject matter experts, and review books and other resources to help us all establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls. I'm the founder of Lions Guide. And on this episode, we've got Jeff Harris. And Jeff is an experienced executive. He's a coach, advisor, and he's got a, as far as business is concerned, he's got a proven track record for developing high-performing teams and effective leaders. But in 2018, Jeff found out that he had a rare disease uh, affecting his esophagus. And this life-threatening diagnosis led to an unfortunate series of events for which Jeff had to endure not eating solid foods for a whole year. And so on this episode, Jeff and I talk about his journey in battling this disease and the lessons he learned about resilience, perseverance, grit, and fortitude. Uh, If you like the sound of that, before we get started, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. You know, this podcast is always sponsored by Lions Guide. And if you've been tuning in, getting value from the show, then do yourself a favor and go to lionsguide.com and join our member community called The Pride. Uh, For no cost to you, it's free. Uh, You get access to all kinds of free exclusive content to include yet to be released uh, episodes of the podcast. I got reading lists out there. Uh, We host live virtual events for members. We've got a private online group on Facebook to engage with other growth-minded members and a whole lot more. So again, joining the pride is free and I'm I'm developing, I'm developing it all to help you, you know, break out of your rut and or break through to that next higher level of yourself by establishing more clarity, building more confidence and courage and, truly being the leader of your life. So check it out now. Go to lionsguide.com. Join the pride today. And with that said, I'll see you online. But for now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Lions Guy Podcast. And today we've got Mr. Jeff Harris, who I met through JT Frank, who was on episode nine of the Lions Guy Podcast. He's the uh, host of the Consequence of Habit Podcast. And Jeff is a former Marine uh, Marine veteran, uh, executive coach, strategic advisor, all around high performer. So perfect person we want to get on the show and chop it up with and learn the lessons that he's got to share. So Jeff, welcome. Glad to have you on. Hey, thanks, Dale. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. So tell us a little about who you are and what do you do? Yeah. So what do I do? I uh, I serve as an executive coach and organizational consultant to turn around struggling companies. And I've been doing this for the past three years. Uh, my background going way back is I have degrees in engineering and mathematics. I was pre-med, uh, put off grad school uh, to go to work for a biotech company in sales, knew nothing about sales, ended up progressing through the company over 12 years to product manager, chief learning officer, director of sales enablement, took over sales operations, ran global sales teams, uh, got to do everything. And, um, and it was an amazing ride. I got so much experience, traveled all around the world. And then I went and left, went to a med device company, uh, got into the scaling up methodology, helped to turn them around, optimize cash flow, get them aligned around a strategy, improve their culture, all that stuff. Still advise them, actually. Then I, I got into consulting. Uh, and then I worked for Sales Benchmark Index, SBI. They're a boutique firm focused on sales and marketing effectiveness. And um, uh, I was there just a short while before some health issues and then started my my own company, which I thought was just going to be a stopgap while I had a few surgeries. And next thing you know, I'm 
Uh, I'm turning away clients at this this day or this date right now because uh, uh, my bandwidth is completely full. There's just not enough hours in the day or days in the week. It's a great problem to have. Um, so I absolutely enjoy what I do. I also do leadership development through Franklin Covey, through John Maxwell, through Gallup. Uh, my specialties are uh, aligning companies around strategy, implementing best best practice execution processes, optimizing cash flow and talent development, um, along with sales and marketing effectiveness. So, yeah, I do a lot. Uh, my days uh, range um, from, you know, anything you can imagine, financial strategy to, you know, going and conducting, unfortunately, a riff for a company reduction of force. It's like whatever whatever my client needs. I'm there to I'm there to help. So I'm based in Colorado Springs and I, I have clients all over the globe. Wow. It's been, a, it's been a heck of a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you've got some diversity in your days, man. That's, that's awesome. I mean, it keeps it, you know, it keeps it fresh, you know, having all the different challenges. I, I don't know if you, but for me, for example, I don't, I don't, I, I need to mix it up. You know what I mean? It's just, I like to run into different challenges often. And, and, you know, I, I like, I don't know. It's like, I like to say sometimes one and done, but it's like, once I solve something once, or I, I like, don't want to do that again. I don't I'm just always kind of moving on to the, the next thing, so to speak. I am right there with you. That's what's so fun about what I do is going in, learning a new company, learning a new, new industry, you know, getting the trains running on time, streamlining operations, and then once that happens and things are just running smoothly, it's like, I'm bored. I'm out. I'm, you know, I'm hitting the ejections, you know, button. It's like, I'm out of here. I'll stay on as an advisor, you know, as a, as a coach as needed. But otherwise, uh, when everything's running smoothly, I'm, I'm, I'm actually attracted to companies that are kind of in chaos. And my goal is to bring order to the chaos. And once that happens, it's like, all right, where's the next one? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. The, um, what do you find typical, right. In a failing company and just kind of interest as you kind of talk about coming into a failing business, like what is the typical root cause? I have an idea, but I kind of want to hear. Yeah. There's two root causes that I run into all the time. Number one is culture because no company can outpace its culture. That is number one. And, um, you know, cause culture is ultimately determined by the behaviors that leaders tolerate. And then it's a combination of culture it's a combination of a lack of alignment. There's usually zero alignment within an organization. And as we know, like as Jim Collins has said, you know, it's like 1% strategy, 99% alignment. And number three is a lack of financial acumen around optimizing cash flow. As you know, there's only two facts in a company when it comes to your finances, your cash and your debt. And so what happened during COVID? It's like every call that I got was all the problems were around culture in cash optimization because uh, the culture issues, you know, were really brought to light with whenever COVID because everybody had to extend trust. And when you already have a company that is operating in an environment of low trust, that's escalated quickly when everybody goes remote. And then all of a sudden you have no more runway. Oh, what do you, what am I doing here? And so not having that um, business mindset, focusing on the working capital that the management team can actually has control over, you know, it, that, that all of a sudden is just like front and center. It's like, this is what's happening. So that's a great question. And that's what I commonly see in struggling organizations is those three things. And then you could dive down the rabbit hole with, you know, um, um, sales and the lack of sales effectiveness and stuff like that. But those three things are very evident in the culture. There's usually a, um, very low trust environment. Um, probably a lot of folks that should probably be playing a different sport. And unfortunately they've been allowed to get away with a lot, uh, lack of alignment. And then yeah, the, you know, lack of just focusing on the right metrics at the right time and making data, um, driven decisions. And I see it, I still see it every day. It's like, 
company calls me, it's like, first thing I ask them, it's like, send me this year and current two fiscal years, um, P&L, balance sheets, cash flow statements. And they're like, that's probably going to take me a few months to get that together. It's like, that's the problem right there. (laughs) (laughs) You're flying blind. um, (laughs) Exactly. Yep. uh, I mean, to me, like that's, that's just leadership, right? Like the leadership is is usually at the core. I mean, it's just been my experience. Like if you're seeing problems in company, you got it. Look no further than the leadership, and and like when you're saying like the culture, the alignment, the trust, like all three of those things are driven by the leadership, right? That in, in mm-hmm. setting the tone, setting the example for those things. Um, so yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's fun though. It enables me to use a wide variety of my skill set um, of of mentors investing in me during throughout my career. And now it's almost like I have this toolkit of stuff and I don't go into a company with my little red wagon of tricks and be like, we're going to do all these things. Now I believe in, you know, the kind of the medical approach I'm going to diagnose and prescribe. Although typically it's like I can walk in and you see this company in HD. It's like you see all the problems. And sometimes, yeah, you have to take that command leadership and just be like, these are all the issues. It depends on the client. But a lot, I, I like to do a lot of assessments, which are pretty quick and it helps to bring to light. It's like, this is what you're telling me is wrong with your organization here. It's like, now I'm going to prescribe you the medication of what we can do and we can behave our way out of this mess. But guess what? You didn't just behave your way into this mess in a day. So it's going to take a little bit of time to turn things around. You know, it's just kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, if you, you know, go and eat McDonald's every day for a year and all of a sudden it's like, all right, I want to get in shape. That's not going to happen in a month. You know, it's, um, you've behaved your way into this, into this bad state. And so now I'm going to help you to think and behave in a different way. Uh, to behave your way back out. And it's, it's going to take some discipline for sure. And, and what's the adoption rate of such change, right? So you go to this organization because you're talking behavioral change, right? Which yeah. it's not flipping a switch. Um, and certainly when it's culture involved, ego involved, key personnel driven, probably mm-hmm. how, 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 tough of a tug is that to great that question happen? because yeah you gotta you got to you know get your guiding coalition on board with you with the key players it all starts with the top if you don't have buy-in from the leadership you're not going to go anywhere and so my thing is always starting at the top of the organization think i've been thankful throughout covid till now where i go in and i have such a great network of referrals that i'll just say i'll just put them in contact with somebody i've worked with and they're like the best thing you do is just do what jeff says and do it quickly it's like don't argue with him it's like, and that really helps. <laughs> um, but you know, whenever I started off, um, I've not always had that. And so, like one company I went into, and leadership would not get behind what I wanted to do. They'd say it in a meeting, but then you know, go out and do something completely opposite, and things are going downhill. And so, I actually orchestrated a coup for a certain company with the board. Had that particular CEO taken out to put myself in for a temporary amount of time uh, to turn things around, and and then hand it back. And so. Uh, to me, it's like if you, uh, I was hired by the board of that particular company. So it's just like, here are the things we can do. It's like, you know, these guys are not getting on board. It's like, we need to remove them and we need to move, remove the person in charge, put me in and I will turn things around because uh, the culture is going to change based on the expectations that I set and the example that I set. And so, yeah, it's, um, if it, it all starts with getting the buy-in from, from the leadership on things, you want to get everybody's thumbprint on the plan as well. 
have a company I'm working with now, you know, all the senior team is in there. And we, all, we also bring in the naive experts to planning sessions and stuff so that when we finalize the plan, it's like everybody's had their input on it instead of just lobbing it over the fence. Nobody takes any buy-in with that. And there are always the people who want to test, oh, is this the new flavor of the week? You know, it's like, we're really going to do this daily huddle, Jeff. It's like, I'm not going to show up to two or to three. It's like, go ahead. It's like, because uh, I'm going to show you what happens. I'm not leaving. You know, it's like, you're going to be held accountable. It's like, I'm coaching the executives above you right now. It's like, and we do have a plan for these folks, you know, because that type of behavior is not going to be tolerated. So those are always the challenge. There's always challenges with change, you know, because change is pain. It really is. People are stuck in their ways. Uh, But sometimes, you know, it's like, as, as you probably know as well, it's like people change because of two reasons, pain or pleasure. The companies that I get a call from, it's typically the last ditch effort. It's like, they're in so much pain. It's just like, just tell me what to do. And it's like, and sometimes it's like, I really enjoy it because it's so obvious. And then when they implement those actions right away and see, you know, improved results, it's like, okay, this makes sense. And a lot of times it's just, you know, it's like the saying goes, why is a fish the last discover water? Because they're in the water. And so as I'm standing outside of a company, I love it because I'm not in the fish tank swimming around. I get my toes wet. I get a taste of it but I'm outside of it. So I see things differently and I'm trying to help them to think and behave differently uh, about how they're running their company. And I'm not stuck in that daily whirlwind of just trying to keep the lights on, you know, like they're doing. And so I'm helping to pull them out of that whirlwind to be like, okay, we're going to work on your business now. It's like, yeah, all of this stuff is urgent and it's trumping what is important. Let's focus on what's important when I'm talking to you. So that really helps as well. Yeah. I mean, and you can relate, right? It's like, they're in the fog of war, right? And you're coming yep. with a perspective of clarity, you know, from the outside looking in. And um, and I'm sure too, right? Like I, a couple of things I thought of as you're going through that, like it's it, when you said like, hey, I go in and they're at a point where they're in so much pain, they're open to help. And, I, and that's got to be more of a joyful environment than the ones that you're maybe pushed into by the board, right? You referenced the one that you went to a queue. Mm-hmm. Like, like I tell people, for example, like, because I've had people call me going, hey, I want you to go work with X. I'm like, time out. Does X want me working with X? Because if not, like it, it doesn't matter, right? So to the point yep. of people wanting your help in wanting help, period, versus someone who doesn't, you know, um, the, the openness and the willingness to kind of take that feedback perspective, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I actually had a CEO hire me once. And we were going through the whole strategic planning process, you know, really figuring out what the purpose and values and all, you know, his, the core of his company was. And he's just like, oh, this is such a waste of time and blah, blah, blah. And was really, you know, resisting me. And then he went, went home for the weekend and he realized like, wow, I'm actually investing a lot in this guy. There must be a reason for this. What if I just go along with this for, you know, the next week? And so he did. And within two weeks, we had that company completely aligned and the culture just like lifting because we had a whole plan together and everybody knew why they were coming to work, how they're going to be held accountable, what the goals were for the organization, you know, all of this stuff. And, um, and he was thankful. And, and I thought that was a really good example too. It's just like, if you're, if you're investing this money, it's like, why not just take a chance? It's like, what's the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over. It's like, if you want to just hire me to come in and argue with me, Hey, it's your dollar. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. It's like, I'm, I'm going to, advise you on the best that I can, because that's what you're paying me to do. You know, and a lot of times it's like people hire a coach and coaching is all about asking questions, you know, it's like, but you also have to coach the gap. And so as I clarify my clients up front, it's like, look, the first thing I want to do is I want to 
try to be your advisor because we're going to move a lot faster than if I ask you a thousand questions to try to draw this out of you. It's like, because a lot of companies are, they don't have that kind of time, you know? And so it's like, let me, let's focus on that. And then as we get going, it's like, then I will start to coach you along so that, you know, we can, we can tweak these behaviors and the way you think so that we have different results. Yeah. And if that ego shield is down, like you can get, you can get somewhere, you know, um, you can, yep. <laughs> if, if they've already got it all figured out and it's not them, you know, it's everything, it's everyone else. It's not me. Like, I don't yeah. know about that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I think some of my assessments, um, I, I, I do same assessments for every organization, no matter what. And most CEOs come back and they say it's like a real gut punch because they're like, wow, I thought I was like this amazing leader. And it's like, well, there, there's no perfect leaders here, folks. It's like, consider the results of this. And I use a lot of radar plots and I, I use the um, analogies. Like think of a radar plot as a wheel on your car. You know, it's like how efficient and effective would this be if you, if this, uh, this, you had a wheel in this shape, you know, cause it's usually not too awesome looking. It's like, but consider that as potential just being left on the table that we can elicit as leaders. Some of it is stroke of the pen decision. Some of it's just simple, simply improving effective communication, you know? And so it's, it's coming alongside them and letting them know it's like, nobody's perfect, you know, nobody at all. But what you don't see is the potential you're leaving on the table. Cause you're, as you said, you're in the fog of war right now. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, one of the things that we talked about when we first met was your story of, I'll say perseverance through uh, a major challenge. So, so walk us through the major challenge that, that you had to get through in your life. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So on December 25th, 2018, I was admitted to the hospital and diagnosed with a rare disease called esophageal achalasia. Nobody knows why you get it. This was the card that I was dealt. Um, there is no cure. What essentially what it causes is it prevents peristalsis in the esophagus. So as you swallow food, you have muscles and neurons that squeeze that food down to your stomach very quickly. You don't even think about it. Well, my esophagus is paralyzed for life. It doesn't do that. And, um, it also created a severe stricture in the lower esophagus. Think about the, the, the diameter of a cocktail straw. And so what happened over a period of time, and I had had this probably for 10 years and they never knew I would, when I went to eat food, I would literally drink a gallon of water. If I went to a restaurant, I'd be like, you need to bring me a pitcher of water before I can even eat like this hamburger. And they're like, we don't do pitchers. I'm like, I need a pitcher of water. I'm going to choke. And my wife had actually given me a Heimlich before years before I was eating a burrito and, and it got caught. And she's just like, wow, what is it with you trying to swallow food? And I'm like, I don't know. Doctors couldn't figure it out because it's so rare. And so that year I had developed a cough in 2018 in March, April, and May. I never stopped coughing. I went to the doctor many times. I was traveling all around the world. I probably had pneumonia then. It wasn't diagnosed. Uh, got better. Um, throughout that year, I slept. Every time I went to sleep, I would cough and choke. And every day, I every time I ate, I would vomit whatever I ate two to three times a day. And as anybody who has ever thrown up anything, it's painful. And so I started to become scared of food. And so I went to doctors and they're like, well, Jeff, you're under a lot of stress. And I'm like, yeah, I'm stressed out because I can't eat food. And when I do, I throw it up and I can't go to sleep at night because when I lay down, I just cough and choke. Well, it turns out my esophagus throughout that year was starting to get clogged and it eventually distended four times its original size. Fluids were draining into my lungs and it caused aspiration pneumonia, which I had for a month um, throughout November and December. 
And that was what ultimately led to the led me to the go to the hospital because I couldn't even swallow a drink of water. I felt like I was drowning and I just felt like somebody was stabbing me in the chest and I could not stop coughing enough to even like talk to anybody. So I'm in the hospital and I'm getting this news that Jeff, you have esophageal achalasia, you have pneumonia. If you hadn't checked in when you had, you'd probably be dead in about 24 hours. Thankfully, I've always been an athlete. I'm kind of an endurance junkie. And um, I had actually been running the day before because I'm just a hard-headed Marine, as we do. <laughs> it's, it's like I'm all go, no stop. And uh, they told me, it's like, you of all people would, may walk out of this hospital just because your lungs are, are, are really in good shape. And that actually saved my life. Uh, so I was there for about a week, had specialists come in later that week, put me under, uh, did, um, did a procedure to clean out my esophagus, sent me home on a liquid diet of protein shakes for the next 10 days. And I'm like, okay, well, this is over the holidays. So it's like, that's mentally tough. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to drink some, a lot of liquids over the, over the holidays, no alcohol, no nothing, just liquids. So I'm sipping cranberry juice through a, a wine glass on new year's being like, I got this. It's all, it's all right. So I go back to my specialist 10 days later and she tells me, Jeff, we're going to have to undergo more procedures. Good news. You don't have cancer because they thought that could have been as well, but they're like, we're going to schedule surgery. There's only one person in Colorado Springs who performs this surgery and she can't get you until the end of April. So I'm like, okay, cool. I was just like, when do I get to eat again? And they're like, well, you can't eat until you have this surgery. I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, well, you got to live on liquids. She's like, your esophagus is, you know, you have the stricture down there. It's going to be like drinking through a titration device. And sure enough, it was to drink a glass of water could take me 30 to 45 minutes because I had to sip it. Because as soon as I sip it, it starts to fill up. And if I drink too fast, the fluids could aspirate into my lungs. And also I had to sleep sitting in a chair because if I lay down, my esophagus would never completely drain. And those fluids would just drain up. It caused me, make me cough and choke. So I went from hero to zero really, really fast. And I um, uh, got my, my, my surgery scheduled for April of that year. And um, my wife and I, we had just finished building the house we're in now in uh, September of 2018. So we were still kind of moving in and um, sleeping in a chair. My back went out. My hips went out. My back went out. I had no lung capacity from um, pneumonia, which I recover from. And then also living on liquids, I dropped 30 pounds within a couple of weeks. And so, because I did not, you know, live on liquids, there's no survival guide for this. It's like, what do you do? It's like doctors are like, you know, drink some, drink some insure and, you know, and drink some seven up. And it's like, yeah, okay. And so I'm a math guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm tracking, you know, my nutrition every day and my weight. And, and I'm like, if I don't change this, it's like, I'm going to tap out of here. And so I had to get really resourceful and, and I got on some weight gainer, you know, learned how to make really nutrient dense protein shakes and stuff like that. And, um, and at the time with my back issue being weak and everything, I could barely walk up a flight of steps. And so I spent a good month just getting my back sorted getting the strength to just go for a walk, to walk a half mile, walk a mile, walk five miles, and eventually got back into running. So during that time, like I was during, working at- During that time from January to April, you got back into running yeah. while you're on this diet? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. So I got back into running and it was really, um, uh, it was kind of like my outlet is because I've always been in a training, you know, it was like, it, it was, it was a way to- um, you know, relieve my frustrations was to go work out, go do, go do a Murph workout, you know, go, go ride my bike and stuff like that. And, um, but I, 
I implemented other things as well. It's like in the mornings, I've always had like a solid morning routine. And so I'd go on these uh, gratitude walks. And so I'd start off with like, all right, what am I thankful for today? Because you wake up, your wife's cooking bacon. That is the most intoxicating combination of hope and hell you can ever imagine. <laughs> so it's like, babe, I got to get out of the house. I'm going for a walk and um, I'm going to get away from this. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. And so that would help me to turn things around. But um, so, how, so what how happened are you psychologically before that? I mean, like, cause you're, you're going through hell, but how were you mentally dealing with it? Were you, that was it, were you depressed? Were you just, just frustrated? Yeah, no. Like what were, were you feeling through I, that? I was not it, initially, you know, it's just like this huge punch in the throat, you know, it's like all of a sudden life just went sideways. I went, I ended up taking a leave of absence from my cult and consulting firm because I'm sitting there, you know, going to have this surgery, but I, I can't eat and trying to travel while you're on liquids. It's like, I was in no mental state. And, uh, and I was like, my brain was like not functioning. My wife is like, sometimes like talking to a zombie because I wasn't getting the proper nutrition early on, which I eventually learned how to do it. And so I'm like, I can't add value. I'm consulting, you know, big companies at the time, billion dollar organizations. I'm like, I can't be in these meetings because I'm going to, I'm not going to add any value. And so I just called my firm. I was like, look, how about if I take a leave of absence, which they're, they, they granted me and welcomed me back into any time and still have a great relationship with them. During that time, I got a call from a CEO who had, you know, he was having real challenge with the sales marketing and customer success teams. He's like, I need a CRO who could turn this around on a contract in three months and told him my situation. And he's like, I know you can do this, Jeff, on your own. He's like, it'll give you a purpose again. And it's like, you know, it will. And so that actually got me back into the game of like, okay, I got to be resourceful on how I get nutrients to myself because I got to lead a team again. And it took my mind off of the fact that I was starving. And so that really helped. And that's turned into the business that I run today. But April comes that year when I'm supposed to have my surgery and get a letter from insurance saying, unfortunately, we're not going to cover this surgery. It's so rare. We've had no other recurring health issues. So um, if you don't agree with this, you can appeal the process. And so I'm this is April, I think 15th, the, the surgery schedule for the 17th. And so I was focused on the short game then, you know, it's like my wife and I were planning like this whole year of trips and all this amazing stuff and all these meals. And, and so that day I kind of, I kind of lose a little bit, you know, as anybody probably would. And I was like, all right, I was like, I'm going to be done focusing on the short game. I'm going to go work out. I did this crazy workout for like three or four hours and um, came back and I was like, that's it. I was like, from now on, I was like, that's behind me. It's like, this is the new mission. It's like, we're battling health insurance. And they're like, this can take up to six months. And I was like, whatever. It's like, it's, a, it's, it's just a matter of human decency. Plus, if they're doing this to me, how many other people haven't had the means to fight this? The financial means, the grit, the mental toughness. It's like, I've been through a lot in my life. And by then, I had learned to not only survive on liquids, but really th um, to thrive. And and so we started an appeal process. We as in my wife and I, which lasted six months and we won the appeal in September of that year. I got my surgery scheduled for November. Little did we know that my esophagus was going to be in such bad shape then that I'd have to go through three surgeries and I'd have to fast on clear liquids of apple juice, bone broth and Pedialyte for 40 days. So I wake up from the first surgery we didn't know it was going to be three surgeries. And they're like, Jeff, it didn't work. Your esophagus is in bad shape. You can't have apple juice and bone broth anymore. You can only have Pedialyte. So this is going on during the holidays. You know, it's like, meanwhile, I had invited 20 family and friends over for Thanksgiving. And my wife's like, what are you going to do? And it's like, 
I'm going to cook Thanksgiving dinner. It's like, I'm going to serve my family. I made this commitment. It's like, nobody should have to suffer because I'm going through this thing. And it's like, we'll get through it. And so, um, yeah, I fasted for 40 days. Final surgery was a, a success. And that year I ended up eating my first meal within 365 days of scrambled eggs on December 25th, 2019. And it was, it was amazing. And I learned a ton that year. Meanwhile, that year, you know, regardless that I was suffering from this disease, I, um, I went out one morning on a Sunday morning and just did an Olympic distance triathlon. Didn't train for it. Didn't even have a protein shake or anything before it. And my wife's like, wow, how'd you do that? And I was like, you know, after months of not having anything in my system, but like the most optimal fuel ever, there's no cheat days, Dale, when you can't eat, (laughs) you're not, you're not having a Dorito, you know, you're not having a piece of cake at a birthday party. You're not having any of that stuff. You know, you're not having a burger, you know, enjoying a piece of pizza. It's like everything I had was, was blended up fruits and vegetables at the most, you know, it's like, and that's all I put in my body. And so my energy level started to go through the roof and I went and did that and I was like, that felt awesome. So I did it again the next day. And so I ended up going and climbing a bunch of 14ers, did different endurance things. Granted, as the year went on, my esophagus got worse and worse. And so it became more difficult to swallow. And so I had to improvise and adapt. And so I started going either weekly or biweekly and I would get IVs with lots of vitamins and stuff in them. And, um, Meanwhile, I'm leading international organizations as the turnaround guy, you know, and trying to keep that away from them that I'm starving to death because my goal was pouring into them. And I learned so much. There's like I have these 10 kind of takeaways that I learned about that year of enduring something, you know, insanely hard because food is a catalyst for human connection. And when you can't eat, you know, you lose so much of that. I mean, that was it was a real challenge in my my family, my marriage. But to be in a business setting, you know, it's like you're a businessman. What do you do? It's like you go out to dinners, to lunches. Company means to break bread. It's like you can't do that. And you don't, yet you don't want the, the spotlight to turn on you. Like, why is this dude just drinking water? You know, so it's always some excuse. It's just like, hey, yeah, it's like I'm, you know, I'm just fasting for the day. Meanwhile, it's like I'm fasting for an entire year. <laughs> so were you, were you really private about it? Like, did you... You, you, you weren't disclosing what was going on with you. Yeah. So I was private until insurance pulled the plug and I was writing a lot about what I was learning about grit and resilience and mindset and stuff. And my wife convinced me to go public with it. So I posted an article in April, 2019. It's called hungry for greatness lessons in resilience. And, um, and that kind of you know, it took off on, on LinkedIn. And then I started just writing a monthly update and it was nothing to complain about what I was going through. That was not how I was at all. It's like, I never once had this victim mindset. And, um, but it was to bring awareness about what we can do in impossible situations. And so that was, um, until April of that year though, it was just my immediate family that knew and a couple of close friends. And, and that was it. And I would just keep it to myself it's like, this is because I would have, I would have family or friends, you know, who I want to come visit. And uh, even my parents are like, I don't want to visit because I don't want to eat in front of you. And it's like, well, why should your quality of life suffer? It's like, I've accepted the fact of where I am and what I have to do. It's like, it doesn't bother me. It's like the only thing that has any meaning, the meaning that you give food is it's the meaning that you give it. I was like, I've severed all of those emotional ties. You know, it's like, and that was the hardest part. 
was severing those emotional ties to like go to a birthday party, you know, go to the block party, you know, go out to dinner with the family and just sit there. And it's like those times were brutal. The first time I went to a grocery store, it was like the walls were caving in. And I thought about Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway and he's stuck on this island. But he's surrounded by seafood and coconuts and stuff. And it's like, meanwhile, he can eat. I'm like, I'm surrounded by every cuisine imaginable in the world because I'm here in Colorado Springs and I can't eat a single bite, you know. But I had to change my mindset to where it's not that I can't eat that food. I get to drink this, you know, liquid or whatever. And so we can talk about the lessons I learned because I was trying to keep them out of this segment, but just tell my story. Uh, but um, yeah, that – uh. I think uh, the journey into psychological isolation was probably the most challenging um, part of it because physically the body adapts, you know, less is more. Honestly, it's like I intermittently fast still. I consume, you know, I consume food to this day. Um, I consume soft foods. I don't get to eat steak and pizza and all this hamburgers and all that stuff, breads. And I don't actually mind it because with my fitness goals, I don't have to worry about having a cheat day because I can't eat that stuff. I mean, I can have a piece of chicken. That is the hardest thing for me to eat. And if I hate a piece of chicken, I have to eat it very slowly and I have to go for a walk in order for it to go down because I rely on gravity because the stricture was relieved in my lower esophagus, but it doesn't work still. So I drink most of my meals and I eat a lot of soft foods. Like if I have a protein bar, it's a softer protein bar. I'm going to heat it up in the microwave to make it even softer and improve the taste. Uh, but, you know, it's like simple things. Like I remember the first time I had a cherry tomato and it was my mind about exploded. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like starting over. You start to appreciate the the fine, uh, the simple things in life. You know how a simple piece of cheese is like can be the most amazing thing you've ever tasted. And so, and, and I'm just grateful for it, uh, of what I get to do now and some other things fast forward two years. So sleeping in a chair for a whole year is, a uh, was, was a nightmare because I'd cough and choke and I, it was like a zombie. And now I sleep in a bed. Sleep is the ultimate miracle drug. You know, I feel just fantastic. It's amazing. And, uh, but what happened is I always wore a retainer because I'm an extreme clincher. And if I sat in a chair and wore a retainer, I would have like bits of saliva dropped down into my throat and made me cough and gag more. So I ended up opting not to re wear my retainer for a year. Well, what I did is, was I grinded my teeth to where after I finally had my surgeries so for the last year and a half, I've had, I think it's three crowns done and three gum grafts because I had literally crushed my teeth and I had uh, wore away my gums from the grinding of not doing it. So I've just now finally got all of that work done in my mouth, which was just a residual side effect of having this disease. Uh, well, what's interesting too, is people are like, what was it like to go back eating? Did you go on like this, you know, this, um, this world tour of eating foods? Like, no, it's like, cause when you don't eat for a whole year, when you fast for 40 days, you have no more gut biome. And so I lived on protein shakes and scrambled eggs and cheese for about three months after that. And I slowly introduced things like, um, crab meat, you know, having like crab cakes, having avocado and stuff like that. It took a lot of time. And I also, I had no jaw muscles. They had completely atrophied. My facial structure was completely different uh, because I hadn't used my jaw muscles except to talk. And, and so, and how do you strengthen your jaw muscles? Just eat scrambled eggs. I started chewing gum. And so I, and literally I would chew a piece of gum for a minute and my jaw would be numb. And so that was my daily workout was all right, I got to chew this stack of gum here to get <laughs> get my my jaw muscles strong uh, strong again. But I just laughed at it, you know, because I'm like, I hope I can help other people who go through this by all these little nuances that I learned, you know, going through these things, especially with 
the diet that I learned just by being resourceful, you know, and, um, and finding out what are the best optimal things I can put in my body. And so it was, it was a journey, man. I learned a lot from it. I can imagine. I mean, we had a uh, Dr. Jerome Craig on here and, 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 and we talked about eating for sustenance, right? And cause we talked about, cause I fast too, but I learned, I was, I used to say I was intermittent fasting, but he corrected me. What I do is actually time restricted eating. So I'm curious to, if you're doing days of fasting or if you're, uh, eating at certain times. Yeah. I eat at certain times. I will fast occasionally just because it, it really does such wonders for the body. I believe, you know, it's like 24 hour fast is straightforward for me. Um, you know, I've, when I had to have all this work done in my mouth, you know, I'd have, they're like, Jeff, you're going to have to fast on liquids for like two days or something. Can you handle that? And it's like, I, th- I think we're good. It's like, I've right. been there, got the t-shirt, you know? <laughs> right. It's like being um, an ultra marathoner and someone's asking you, well, you think you could run a mile with me? And like, Yeah, oh. exactly. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's funny. It's, it's funny. Um, um, but, but yeah, mostly what I do now though is like, cause I get up and I train, it's best for me to train on an empty stomach. So stomach acids don't come up into my esophagus cause there's no sphincter there. And so, um, my training is, is always pretty intense, a couple hours, but I will fast until 11 or 12 that day. And then that's when I'll have like my big shake. And that's really the majority of my calories for the day right there in nutrition. And then it tapers off very quickly from there because I don't want to have anything too late uh, because if I go to sleep, it's not going to be good. Sure. So yeah. yeah. I got I to gotta let gravity, you know, kind of pull that stuff down. And plus, after I have that shake from that morning workout, it's like, I don't have much of an appetite the rest of the day. It's like, I feel good. Yeah. 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 And he was talking about that. He was talking about like when we take in food, like it's, it's the biggest, um, you know, how did he word it? He basically was saying like our, our body has to ex- go through a lot, expend a lot of energy to, digest like it's calling on all these different systems and there's all this energy expelled just to digest your food so when you're talking about your energy levels going up i was just kind of relating to kind of the way he was talking like hey we really today especially in america we eat to eat we eat to consume versus eat for sustenance and because i was asking him about like um you know, my experience and I don't eat until noon as well, but I have so much more energy since I transitioned to that a number of years ago. And he was explaining that like our bodies are just, it only needs what it needs. And when you just give it what it needs, you're not expelling all this energy towards digestion. And now your, your, uh, is going towards your thinking, your you're other. Just, yeah. Yep. You're so right, Dale, in that eat just to eat. When you don't eat, you become all of a sudden you're standing outside the fish tank of the world, quite honestly. And you see people, it's like, like my family, I see them sit down for breakfast on the year I can't eat. And at breakfast, they're talking about where are we going for lunch? And at lunch talking about where are you going for dinner? And I'm just like, Hmm. And then you see how much food is wasted. How much, how much people actually complain about this is too hot or not enough salt or too much pepper. And it's like, wow, it's like, where's the gratitude in it all? And that part became very painful. And so sometimes the hangriness of me, Angry Harris, would come out at the, you know, at folks like, you should be grateful. It's like, you know, and then you hear people, it's like, oh, I don't want Mexican. We had Mexican last week or two weeks ago. It's like, I've eaten, I've, I've drank the same protein shake for 275 days. It's like, you should be thankful you have that, that burrito. Uh, but it's all a matter of perspective as well, because you're in there. In, in this, in this, in this grind of just eating to eat and you're right without having all of your 
your energy focused on that um, digestion, you know, it just kind of goes through the roof. And, um, and also it's just like, just sitting, like sitting around and watching, you know, a movie in the evening or something. It's like, everybody has their snacks and all this stuff. And when you can't eat, it's like, you don't have that, you know, you're just sitting there sitting there sipping on some water or whatever. And it's like, you start to realize you don't need it. You know, it's like, and you, and you feel so much better. You don't have all of this process stuff in, in you, you know, so, so, so true. And I've, I've learned, you know, that less is more and keeping your body in a constant state of want has such incredible benefits when it comes to longevity, you know, and increasing your lifespan. And, uh, and that's also goes back to stoicism as well. Not just keeping your body in a state of want, but in, you know, a steady state of discomfort, you know, taking the cold shower, you know, walking outside in the cold with a, without a jacket on. It's like, these are the things that really help to optimize your fitness, uh, um, and just your mental toughness in general. Well, this is a topic I love and, and I'm, I'm going to explore it further because I'm just, especially over the last year, just come to that realization, everything that you say, right? Like that our bodies are capable of so much, but we inhibit it by these comfort zones, right? Like you talked about just going out in the cold or like doing the cold bass or, you know, just breathing exercises or what we're eating. Like, man, I, we inhibit our nat- our natural abilities in so many ways. Um, you know, like I said, even keeping ourselves warm, you know, I don't know if you've studied in the Wim Hof stuff, but it's come up a few times I on a podcast, you. but like, you know, just the, just the study on brown fat and our lack of it because we cover ourselves with so much technology, be, be it shelter, be it our clothing or whatever. So we are not adapted for the cold weather, but we are perfectly capable of it. If only we were exposed to it. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go. <laughs> we all need to go shift to live outside. But but it's more to the point. Like we are capable. Our bodies are capable of so much. But it's it's the you don't use it. You lose it. Like you talked about with your jaw muscles, right? You weren't using them. So you lost them. Like it seems to be that our bodies have so many systems capable of so much that we actually employ them for. Um, mm-hmm. But meanwhile, we put our bodies at war with all this crap that we ingest. Like you mentioned, the processed food. Like you eat, yep. to me, in my mind anymore, from from the reading I'm doing, is like you eat this crap, and your body literally has to go to war <laughs> to get it out of you. It, it, I mean, it's just got to go to war, and it can't win the war, especially when you're just overeating and and doing all that. But I mean, it just seems like we're just capable of so much that you know we're just not taking ourselves to those limits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of cold, you know, that's, that's one of the things too, that was a byproduct of, uh, that year I ended up going from 195 down to in the one thirties after I, you know, going through that 40 day fast, I figured out how to level my nutrition and stay at like 155, 160. Um, and, um, and I was pretty good with that as long as I, you know, my esophagus allowed me to drink the shakes that I needed to drink. Um, and so, because it would get clogged sometimes and I would just have to fast and have nothing. And, um, but I would go get an IV. It's like, as long as they stay hydrated, it's like, I know my esophagus will eventually drain and clear in a few days and I'll be fine. But my body fat was like, you could, it was like non-measurable. And so like by the time October, November, December came, what people wouldn't see is like in my house, I always had long johns on. I had, you know, pants or sweatpants on over that. I would sit here in my office with a sleeping bag wrapped around me. I had a down coat, a sock head on. I was freezing 24 seven. I go to sleep in a zero degree bag just because I had no body fat on me. And, uh, and, you know, it's like, 
I was anytime I could go and sit by the fireplace, I just go sit by the fireplace, you know, and that was to me, it was extraordinary. Talk about being in a constant state of discomfort. But to me, it was just, it was just, I didn't complain about it. I was just like, wow, the human body is capable of so much. I would never realize the potential of what I'm going through if it wasn't for this disease, you know, which is some of the things we can chat about, you know, the real lessons that I learned and we can dive deeper into those because I think it'll really I'd love to have people be able to walk away from this with things that they can apply and use because life is going to punch everybody in the face. You know, it's like, look at last year, COVID. It's like that, that might've been the first punch for a lot of folks, you know, going through this global pandemic. And uh, no matter what you're going through though, there are some key things that you can do to help, um, you know, endure the struggle and rise to the occasion uh, to make it uh, a better experience overall, you know, so, yeah, it's like, like the big thing for me, it's like, I'll just get into a couple of them is right off the bat, you know, going through hard things, you got to accept reality. And my thing was, I'm not going to waste time asking why this happened to me, because I know by asking that it's just going to trap me in the past. It's going to trap me into last year, last month. I'm going to focus on staying moving forward because I'm going to make a decision. As you know, it's like the root word of the, of decision assist, which means to cut off you know, to cut away. And so I'm like, I'm cutting away with this person that I once was. It's like, yes, I hope I can eat again. I don't know when I'm going to do that, but I'm just going to stay focused on the process. And in the business world, I serve organizations as, as I was saying, as like an agent of change. That's what I do. I bring order to chaos. And, um, and what I love is Socrates has this quote, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And that became my mantra, you know, right off the bat. And you have to accept that yesterday is gone. And welcome today is this platform for heroic possibilities and just live it as if it were your last by whatever means that you have, you know, just be grateful. It's like today is called the present. It's a gift. That's why they call it the present, you know, and when you're that close, when you're literally tasting death for an entire year of starving uh, and by tasting death is because when your esophagus doesn't work, it, things just, it's like a, this clogged exhaust pipe, um, bad things happen, um, in your mouth and everything else. And so it's, there's so much disgusting stuff to the story that I don't want to go into, but it's, 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 it's it was a terrible experience. Uh, but my thing was, I just got to focus on moving forward. And so in the next thing though, was I believe, you know, attitude is everything. And if you want to change your life, change your attitude. And so, I believe in embracing a positive attitude, uh, an attitude of gratitude. And, um, and I went back to right off the bat within three weeks of living on liquids. I went back to man's search for meaning by Victor Frankl. And I know you've, you've talked about this on a podcast. I love that episode. And, you know, one of the things he said was everything could be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And it's like, that's exactly it. It's like, so I chose to embrace an attitude of gratitude and a growth mindset through that unimaginable, you know, physical and what became a psychological journey. And one of the things I did every day was I believe in feeding the good wolf. That's my saying in the morning. It's like, so I was constantly reading, you know, motivational books, self-help books. Uh, I was reading about people who had been enduring all kinds of crazy hard stuff that made my, my walk well, my journey looked like a walk in the park, you know, and, um, and then listening to podcasts and watching motivational videos on YouTube, which I had established these habits, thankfully years before, and they didn't stop. 
it's like, that was part of my routine. So in the mornings, like before I do my morning workout, uh, I always do, cause I've, I've had a lot of back problems thanks to the Marine Corps. I wouldn't change it though. And so I, um, I always, um, do a plank for like 10 or 15 minutes, yoga and stretching for 10 or 15 minutes, just to get my body in a state where I can train. And I always watch motivational videos from YouTube on there. So I'll watch Goggins and all these other folks and it just fuels me, you know? And, um, there's a really great quote by Hugh Downs about attitudes. And he said, a happy person is not a, a person in a certain set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. And so to me, that was absolutely key. And, you know, it's like, but I'm human as well. It's like, there's times where you're hangry and you got a short fuse, you know, when you're, <laughs> when you're going through that, plus you're tired, you know, it's like sleep deprivation is was really one of the hardest things to endure. And I was, you know, a complete zombie during that old time or all, you know, besides being malnourished, but that was my thing. It's like in the mornings, I'm like, I got to focus up, focus on booting up my program so that I have the right mindset and attitude to give my absolute best to my family and the organizations that I'm serving. And so that was a key one. And then, uh, you know, and then moving down, it's, it was about holding on to your character. You know, it's about remembering who you are. It's like, my thing was like, okay, first and foremost, I'm like, I'm a father. I'm not going to embrace some victim mindset here. I want to demonstrate to my kids, no matter how hard this is, that in order to do hard things, you got to hold on to your character and have a positive attitude. And so I also had to, you know, think back. It's like, I'm a U.S. Marine. It's like, it's like we hold ourselves to a high standard. And plus, if you want to, um, if, if, if you want some, you know, inspirational humor, call your Marine buddies because they're going to have no empathy for you. And yeah. so, <laughs> I, I, so they, they made it real. It's just like, I had one of my Marine, Marine brothers visit and uh, he comes here and he's just like, yeah, man, this whole thing sounds terrible. I'm starving. If you could take me out and watch me eat a steak, it'd be wonderful. And so I took him to a nice, a nice steakhouse and had some drinks and he ate a steak and he's like, I don't feel sorry for him. And I was like, I, I believe it. He's like, you got this. He's like, here's what you do. This is what we do in the Marine Corps. You deal with it, dude. And it's like, I'm dealing with it. And so, but it's, and I also have a, I have a twin brother. And for the first few months, he would take pictures of every meal he would eat and send it to me and be like, check out this steak. By the way, I made two of them. I'm going to have one for you, buddy. And, uh, and it's, but I would just laugh and some people were like, wow, what an a-hole. And I'm like, no, it's like humor provides, it's so necessary when you're enduring hard things, you know, it's like, if you can't sit back and laugh at it, you know, it's like, and that stuff lit up my day. It's like, oh man, dude, it's like, you're killing me. You know, it's like, but it was so, so funny and I needed it really. Um, but then I had to go back to, you know, just the beginning, like, what's my purpose? And my purpose is serving organizations as, you know, a consultant to develop high performing teams and effective leaders to, you know, turn around companies in trouble and go back to my core values. And so it's like, okay, it's like, let me just go back to my why, why I'm here. And that was early on. It's like, and I just, I rewrote it out because I always have, you know, my, I always have this stuff written, but I had to just dive deeper. It's like, this is how I'm going to hold myself accountable for behaving in, in this situation. And, uh, you know, and a big lesson that I learned during this as well, and this is so, so crucial for COVID, this global pandemic, is let go of the end game. Just stay focused on the process. You know, it's like I've learned if you do what's necessary long enough, the impossible, it's going to relinquish its throne. But you have to have discipline and you have to have self-discipline. And so it's kind of like last month I was running an ultra marathon. I never run a marathon. And I've learned you run the mile that you're in. And so for me, I ran a 31 mile race and I broke that down into 
10 3.1 mile runs. So 10 5Ks. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm going to run through this 5K. I'll get through this 5K. My reward is I'm going to have a gel and I'm going to have, you know, drink my, my, my hydration drink. And I'm going to go through the next one. And I would just stay focused on the podcast I was listening to, the audiobook I was listening to, whatever it was. I was like, let me just stay in the now, stay in the story. Because if you start thinking about, you know, at mile six, you got 25 miles to go. Guess what? It's not going to go so well. You're going to get depleted. And so that was my thing because going through that process, I didn't know. It's like I had so many doors slammed in my face. And if I were to, you know, just lose it at each of those, I would have never made it. But every time a door slammed, I would just tell my wife, it's like, okay, well, what's next? What are our options? You know, it's like denied again. This surgery didn't work. Immediately tell my doctor, turn to him and be like, all right, man. What's next? What do you want me to do? What can I change in my diet? You know, what can we do um, medical wise? You know, whatever it is, it's like, I'm going to keep going. It's like, meanwhile, it's like, I know the process I got to focus on. I'm here. And it was the most present and mindful that I've ever spent in my entire life because it had to be. So it's so, so crucial. Um, but a big one too is uh, when you're going through hard things, you got to own your struggle. You know, and you got to take responsibility and you can't fall victim to circumstance. You know, playing the victim is like playing your get out of responsibility card. And I see it all the time. And those with the perpetual victim mindset, they tend to create situations from which they suffer. And Carl Jung, however you say his last name, he has a quote, which I had pinned in my office that year, says, I am not what happened to me. I am who I choose to become. And I was like, that is so true, you know, because victims, they see failure as a sign to stop. Whereas somebody with more of a, a growth or a warrior mindset, they see failure as an opportunity to learn and grow. And that's what I said. I'm like, I want to, I want to embrace it and struggle for all it has to teach. Cause here's an opportunity for me to learn things about myself and my potential that I've never known and potentially help somebody because maybe my story is going to serve as somebody else's survival guide, you know, and, um, Victims, they also, they don't have any power over their life, you know, whereas somebody with a warrior mindset, it's like, I can do anything with enough effort. And my thing was like, if I can make this, if, if I can take it, I can make it. And, um, and if I started to get down at all, like I tell my wife, it's like, if you, if you see me, you know, starting to, you know, fall off the bus and feel sorry for myself and complain where it's like, you need to tell me to lock it up. It's like, you know, you get back on track, push me, challenge me. That rarely happened, you know, it's like, because I was so focused on, on the mission and victims, you know, they see discomfort as something to avoid. And we see it in society all the time, but you know, it's like a warrior mindset, you know, you see discomfort as part of growth. And I believe that greatness hides on the other side of pain and suffering, which is why the workouts that I do now, it's like the only way to do them is to go through some extreme pain and severe suffering, because that's where you're going to really grow. Um, you know, and victims, they're always blaming people and circumstances for their results. Well, and I had folks who are the easiest yeah. cop out, right? It's, it's exactly. so easy to find a reason not to do something an excuse. Something's not going anywhere. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. So you, you don't need to need to look hard. You can come up with. Yeah, exactly. Whereas it, whereas like, I believe it's like, nope, I'm a product of my choices. This is all up to me. This is the hand I was dealt. How I play this hand is completely up to me. You know, and um, and I also see, you know, and I belong to a, I used to belong to a lot of groups online about accolades of survivors. And I always found that victims look to find other people who will validate their self-made limitations. And so I got kicked out of a lot of these groups because I was trying to be an inspiration, a light to folks. 
But the owners of the groups would be like, they would delete all my stuff because they pander to the folks who are crying about their day or I can't do this and I can't do that. Whereas to me, a warrior's like, I'm going to suffer in silence. I'm not going to complain about this stuff. It's like, I'm going to take it, but I'm also going to be a light for others. And I'm not going to be, you know, Debbie Downer about this whole thing. And, uh, you know, and as, and, and the other thing I found about victims too, is they would always focus on what they can't control and they ignore what they can. Whereas like me and like, no, no, no. It's like, I'm only going to focus on what I can control. I can control the nutrients that I put into my shakes. I can control, you know, um, my comfort in a chair the best that I can and not complain about it. And I'm going to ignore everything else that I can't control. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the fact, you know, the insurance appeal, I'm going to do all the stuff that they tell me to do. But at the end of the day, it's out of my control. I'm not going to worry about it. And at the end of the day, it's like, yes, we could have paid to have the surgery. But I was like, no, 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 no. I'm pretty hard-headed. I was like, I see this as a test of leadership to influence, to change this over. I see this as a matter of human dignity. I see this as a complex sale, having come from sales. I was like, we will figure out a way to win this. And I was like, and it, it won't be enough if we are successful in winning this procedure for myself. It'll be a win if we create significance so that this procedure, you know, is granted to anybody with this disease, which is what happened. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's it like, seems, if we didn't get into it, obviously you went through it, but even when you said that, I was like, wow, because it, 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 that is, I mean, it's just the human, the inhumanity of it going, eh, sorry, yeah. you got something that we just haven't seen enough to cover. It's like, what? Like, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, you're talking to somebody who hasn't missed any meals and you're like, okay, buddy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. While you're living it, you know, and when you said yeah. you, it was April 15th when they denied you and you were at that finish line almost of getting your surgery on the 17th and yep. man. Oof. Yeah. Um, it was a real dick punch that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to put it in words, absolutely. Goodness. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, but but you know, part of that though, that's another lesson I learned though, is enduring the crucibles of life is such a team sport. And the thing that changed for me that day was having the courage and vulnerability to ask my wife, can you be the point person to battle the health insurance appeal? Because I'm too close to it. And it's like in my emotions at the time, it's like I could go from the calmest person in the world to silverback ape really, really quick. So it's like, I will serve as your mentor and your coach and advisor. It'll be a team effort. But if you can take the reins on this, do all the scheduling, paperwork and stuff. And that was a game changer because until then I was trying to shoulder the whole load myself. Like I got this. I don't want to be a burden on anybody, you know, go about your life. And that was a huge game changer for me. And then just asking other people to serve as, you know, mentors and people to encourage me. And at the time too, I made some brutal decisions to just exit people out of my life who were bringing me down, who are trying to pander to the victim stuff. It's like, I won't have it. It's like, you're either going to be in my corner. You're going to believe in what we're doing. You're going to provide encouragement, help lift us up, or you will not be a part of the team. And so the team, team got small. Hey guys, Dale here, and I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique, like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding. 
The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet but exceed those demands on you. And in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you enjoy the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level and join me on lionsguide.com and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the pride today. Now back to the show. I think, I mean, there's so much there, I think for people to know, right? And I'll start with like the emotional piece of it, right? Like you can't, lead effectively because you, you said it was a complex sale well complex sale someone's got to lead it right lead it to the finish line and and you're 100 percent like if you're not emotionally where you need to be to effectively lead you got to defer that to someone who is detached from it and can lead and you can be like exactly what you said you can stay behind the scenes and help guide and advise and contribute but at the end of the day you're trying to sell the insurance company you're trying to sell the 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 goal, right? And if you're coming in as silverback eight, I would tell you the people in power, quote unquote, the ones who have the power to make that decision. If you're coming in as silverback eight, thinking you're going to muscle your way to make someone in power, do something you want, it's not going to happen. And you've yep. got to come like, cause I, I, I get kind of criticized. I think that sometimes when something's not going quite right. Um, but I, I try to find the win-win like I, cause I know when you swing that heavy hammer, you're mm -hmm. just making things worse. And I had to learn that, right? I mean, I was Sergeant Marine Corps when I came out, man, you know, I, I came hard, but I had to learn. It took me a long time in leadership yep. to learn. Like people don't appreciate that. And it takes twice or more longer to get to the desired result by swinging that heavy, hard stick and being, you know, being the a-hole um, as opposed yep. to just seeking to understand and find and trying to be someone that, that person in power wants to help, right? You know, because uh, yep. you're just coming off and you're lambasting them and, and you're just giving them what for. They're not interested in helping you and they're going to use their little piece of power in the world against you. They really are. Exactly. And so much of sales is about building relationships of trust and handing that off to my wife who works in customer success. She did fantastic at that. And, um, and she created this coalition on our side to help us. And, um, and it was also just having the humility to know this, like, I'm not the best person to, 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 to field this ball. You know, it's like, I'm not. And so, um, that was a game changer. And then, uh, yeah. And then, you know, as I got her going on the way, it's like a big thing that I learned that year is a lot of lessons in patience, you know, patience is strength. And I learned, you know, it's like, everybody's going through something out there. I just want to remind you that all seasons change. Every storm runs out of rain and each night turns into day. And uh, the challenge, though, is embracing patience to outlast the season. And Lao Tzu, it said, you know, nature does not hurry, yet everything is accomplished. And it's so, so true. I spent so much time in the mountains out here and nothing's in a hurry. And one of the hardest things in my life was having the patience, um, you know, to just about do anything because it's like, decide to do something, I want to make it happen. 
And, um, but I learned that, you know, great things really come out of it. And, you know, ultimately if you lose patience, you lose the battle. And it's so, so true. And I, if I had lost patience during that year, I would have lost the battle. And patience is the ultimate remedy. Yet to me, it was just so elusive to endure that. And, you know, Aristotle, he reminds us, you know, the patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. And I could not agree more, you know, and it's um, patience is so much more than the ability to wait. It's about maintaining a winning attitude by being mindful in the moment. And that was so, so hard. But nowadays I find things that used to frustrate me, you know, just in life, you know, sitting in traffic and stuff like that. It's like, I'm much more calm because I'm like, I could be sitting here not eating food for a year. It's like, that was, that was something, (laughs) you know? So, yeah. And so, yeah, the lessons though, it's like, you know, there was so much that I learned about grit and resilience and stuff. And, um, some of my things, you know, that I, I, I would tell myself throughout that year. And I tell people now it's like, you have to always doubt your limits. You have to constantly raise your standards and you got to refuse to be average. And it all comes down to grit, you know, about carrying on and pushing through, And sometimes it's just in the tiniest of increments. And to me, it was just one protein shake at a time, one glass of vegetable juice at a time. And, uh, you know, but grit, when you think about grit, it's like you go to bake a cake, right? And you put all these ingredients together. I never bake a cake or eat a cake because I can't do that. And that's fine. I get to not eat a cake. So I get to not have a cheat days. (laughs) So anyways, you put all these ingredients together, you you throw it in the oven and, you know, an hour later you pull out and you got this cake. Well, that cake kind of represents grit. But there's a lot of ingredients that go into grit. And there's a lot of talk about it this days, these days about grit and resilience and stuff. And perseverance is one of the key things, you know, that um, the key attributes to grit, to persevere, you know, it's about doing something over and over and over despite the difficulty or delay in achieving success. And so to me, that was just drinking protein shakes, sleeping in a chair. It's like perseverance. And perseverance, you know, that requires persistence tenacity and fortitude and persistence to me was in the beginning, it was just coming up with a solution to this process of being able to keep myself nourished and just, I'm very stubborn. I just stuck with it. And, uh, there's more to my story on why I do these things. Uh, but it's, um, let's just say I'm on the spectrum. And so I can be very persistent when it comes to, I downloaded this new, you know, routine I'm sticking. This is all I'm doing. Well, soon I learned it wasn't good enough. I wasn't getting enough raw nutrients in me. So I had to have some tenacity to start questioning the effectiveness of the solution to the problem. And so I started questioning, it's like, okay, am I getting enough, you know, vegetables, enough fruit, enough of these vitamins and things like that? Because it became more than just calories. I'm like, I can't just focus on calories from a protein shake and not have all of these other things that my body needs. And then, so that also though required fortitude and fortitude is ultimately the mental and emotional strength that allows us to persevere. So when you think about it, tenacity and persistence is kind of like the engine and fortitude is the fuel that powers us through that enables us to persevere and conquer these challenges in our life. And along with that, you know, another, these are all key ingredients that makes up that determines like how gritty we're going to be in life. And so another one though, the key one that you hear about all the time is resilience. And that's the able, the ability to, you know, to rapidly return to your baseline, you know, from some, you know, physical, mental trauma, whatever it is. And my, my resilience was tested all the time because here's another letter. Boom. You're denied for coverage. Wake up from a surgery. Yeah. That didn't work. You're going to have to be on liquids some more. By the way, we're taking these liquids away from you now, Jeff, by the way, for the last surgery, 
I didn't have any liquids. I had to live on it with an IV. I had to go NPO, no water via mouth for seven days sitting in a hospital. And so I can tell you now, thirst trumps hunger any day. And so talk about thirsty. And so uh, that was, but so I even did even with uh, the IV, like your, your thirst wasn't quenched? Like, no, no. Cause I could not even like, you know, t- I would take these little sponges and put them in my mouth, but I was just, all I wanted to do was just take a drink of something, you know, even though my body was set it and it could be just because that was the habit I had. That was the only thing I had for a whole year was taking a drink of something, you know? And so I imagine if I was on it longer, it could have went away, but you know, and that one, that one was a challenge, but at the same time, I just sat there and read books. You know, I managed my team over New Zealand and uh, I focused on, you know, this is a time to get better. I wrote a lot, um, you know, I started telling, sharing my story because it was like, I was like this unicorn. It's like, there's this guy with achalasia, this patient. And it's like, people don't see many of these. So it's like every doctor had to come and see me and be like, how did you live for almost a year? It's like, well, health insurance gave me no other choice. So here I am. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to find a way. But, you know, have, people with a resilient mindset, we have this, I, we as in people who are, who are listening to this, it's like, I have this mindset. It's like, I'm going to be fine. It's time to go to work. You know, it's like when I woke up from those surgeries, yes, I get in the car and the ones that failed and we would drive from Denver to Colorado Springs is like an hour and a half. And I tell my wife, it's like, all right, on the ride home. I may shed some tears. I may say some negative thoughts. I was like, I got to process these emotions. When we get into the driveway, I'm back on point. I'm back on the mission. We're going to figure out what's next because we're we're right back on track. I was like, I just need a little bit of time to process these things. It's not going to be days. It's going to be an hour and a half. And then we're back on the mission. And to me, that's about being resilient and bouncing back. And so that was a key thing that I learned through through that all was all of these ingredients that really make up how gritty a person can be. Uh, it takes a lot, you know, and uh, I think all those words are used interchangeably a lot, but they all mean something different. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're all necessary. Like you just, I mean, you just said it necessity, right? Like you had, there was no other option. You, the necessity was driving you period, but but you have to maintain that mindset to rise to the challenge because you could easily just said, like you were saying earlier, taking, taking the victim mentality and like, woe is me. It, it, I just, that's it. it. That, that would have been it. But, but at the end of the day, I think to your point of a, like a growth mindset, a, a warrior on uh, facing this ad- adversity, if you will, like you, you own it. Like you recognize that, I have to get myself out of this through all these, you know, the fortitude, the attitude, like I've got to get through this because there is no other way. Like the necessity yep. behind that was, was it. And, and just. It's, yeah. It. it came back to that, that point I made, you have to own your struggle because the only person that's going to lead you out of the darkness is probably going to be yourself. There's going to be some people on, on, you know, standing up on the mountain, cheering you on up, you know, up on top of the ridge but they're not down there with you and down in the fires is really where you're ultimately forged. And that's where, uh, you know, the grit and your attitude, your mindset, the patience, it's all put to the test. Your character is put to the test. You know, it's like, it's, uh, it's not like you're building character there. It's like when you're down in the Valley, your character is revealed, you know, it's, it's already, it's already there. It's established. And that was, um, and that kind of leads into like one of the final key things that I learned that during that time was you got to give to grow. And, Ultimately, we as humans, we gain fulfillment by serving others. I know I do as a leader and I learned we become strong 
when we have others for whom to be strong. And we got to have that servant mindset and be the leader that we would follow. And so my thing was like, yes, I'm leading my family. I'm serving my family. I'm enduring this crucible for others who are suffering at the mercy of this disease, who don't have the means to, to battle this stuff. Uh, but I was also leading several different organizations. And the one that I ended up becoming CEO of, and I was part of for the majority of that year, my focus became on being the absolute best leader that I could be for them to be an inspiration, you know, to turn around that organization and to serve them and give them everything I could. And it kept me out of the the kitchen, you know, and, uh, and smelling all the good food that was going on. And it would take my mind off the fact that I was, you know, starving because I was just focused on solving the problems and developing this team and giving them everything that I could. And so the thing that I've always believed in my life and was so true then is if you want to keep leading and keep serving wherever you are in the world, never stop learning. And so that year, I never stopped learning. I never stopped giving. I never stopped mentoring. I mentored and coached so many executives, you know, and it was just because it's like I believed in these folks. It's like I want to help people get to the next level. And so giving all that I could possibly give at the end of the day, it came back to me, you know, like tenfold. Uh, but it was it was hard. It was it was beyond difficult. But we do. We have to give to grow. You know, we have to embrace the struggle. We have to, uh, you know, keep keep learning, you know be vulnerable to ask for help, hold on to our character, let go of the end game and focus on the process, you know, change your attitudes to change your life and, and ultimately just accept reality for where you are and pick up the tools around you and go to work. Yeah. yeah so that, that's a hundred percent mindset. I mean, it's a hundred percent mindset because I mean, like, even if you kind of follow your story and, and we've, We've talked about pieces of it, but it all happened in that year span. Like you're literally on a liquid diet at some points, water only, but you're still exercising. You're still mm -hmm. running a freaking company, which it, that in itself is just, a, you know, a huge bear, but you're doing it. You know, you're doing it through all this and, and yeah, man, but, but all because of these facets that you described of your mindset, it, it's all yeah. about your mindset. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I have a quote hanging in my office from February 2nd, 2004, when I first moved to Colorado Springs to take a job in biotech. And that day on my calendar says, take pleasure in doing what others people, what other people say can't be done. And that, when the doctors told me, you know, it's like, basically they just told me, so you shouldn't even try this appeal process. It's like, nobody gets through it. And even at the end, my doctor told me, he's like, you're the first person who ever stuck through this thing and actually won. He's like, because after the first appeal is denied, he's like, I never hear from people again. And it's like, yeah. And then plus my doctors had told me, they're like, Jeff, you shouldn't be exercising. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be climbing mountains. You shouldn't be traveling the world. And I'm like, why shouldn't I travel the world? It's like, because you're not going to have the dis the self-discipline to not eat. And if you eat, you're going to get aspiration pneumonia. You might die this time. And I'm like, I do have the self-discipline. By the way, I'm going to New Zealand for a month. And they're like, I highly recommend you don't do that. It's like doing it. Did it. It was terrible, <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> it. It was pretty hard because I was out of my comfort zone. You know, here it's like I got my wet bar set up with like my smoothie station for that whole year. And so I got access to all this stuff. You go overseas and you don't have access to the same, you know, nutrition and all this other stuff. So it was hard, but, you know, I had, I adapted. I befriended um, um, uh, this gentleman who, who ran a smoothie bar, which wasn't far from my hotel. And uh, he kept me nourished for a whole month. It was amazing. So it became a good, really good friend of mine. Um, so yeah, it's like, there's people that are planted along our, our path that we may not know yet, but it, it's sometimes you just got to extend trust and just 
you know, when you can't see the next step, just take the step, you know, keep going. It's going to be there. But yeah, they're telling me you can't do marathons, Jeff, or triathlons. You can't do all of these crazy workouts you're doing because you're not going to be able to properly get the proper nourishment. It's like, well, you might not be able to, but I figured it out. You know, it's like, it's like, I'm a, I'm a, you know, finely tuned machine now. I don't eat food. I'm like, I drink all my nutrients. And I've said this before. I was like, I felt like, you know, like, um, somebody aboard the Nebuchadnezzar in the matrix where they're, everybody's, you know, just has the same goop every day. It's like, that was me, but my goop was optimized for, for me. And, uh, folks are always coming to me. It's like, you know, I, I just, I'm struggling losing weight and all this stuff. I wonder what I can do. It's like, I know exactly what you do. Um, just how much are you willing to endure to, to go through it? You know, cause food is such a big part of our life. And so very quickly, it's always like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. It's like, I don't blame you. You know, it's, it's not the most pleasant thing. Yeah. But all about mindset, man. And I, I, I bring that back to, you know, the Marine Corps, the lessons I learned there and just the so many uh, different trials that I've endured through my life with, which are all different stories, too much to go through here. And, um, yeah, so that one though, I wouldn't change it for the world. Since then I've connected with a group of biomedical engineers in uh, Georgia tech earlier this year. And they were, they built a prototype device to re, re, uh, restore peristalsis in the esophagus. And it was so awesome having come from a background in biomedical engineering to connect with this young team who has taken interest in a rare disease when, in which there's really no research. And they're like, what can we do? It's like, Oh, well, I've thought about this problem for two years now. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, here's some of the things we could do, but they did a, a really fantastic job. And it's really cool too, because I've worked, I worked a med device. And so be able to connect them with the right companies and technologies, you know, to, uh, to make this happen. And, and that stuff, bringing a device, med device to, to market, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's a decades long process typically, but it's like just to see that happening and bring awareness and hope to the folks who suffer from this disease, you know, it's like, it, it really brightened their day. It's like, wow, people, people are, you know, putting two and two together and trying to figure out, figure out a, a solution. It's like, yeah, work the problem. So having gone through that, you know, what's, what's, how have you changed? Right. I mean, cause it sounds like and maybe were you as that much of a high performer, like the triathlonist, the, the ultra runner, were you all that before, or did this experience really go, Hey man, like you're leaving a lot on the, a lot on the shelf here. And in your case, you're leaving a lot on the table here. So, or, or or were you always that guy and you pushed through, you maintained it through this or did you become this guy through this experience? Yeah, I was always an athlete. I was big into CrossFit. You know, I ran some half marathon. I wasn't, I didn't care for running so much after the, after the Marine Corps, you know, I'd go run, I'd run five K's and run half marathons for fun with my wife. And I was just like, I'd run enough of my life. Uh, But even doing CrossFit, I, I realized that I was, I wasn't giving it my all, you know, I wasn't leaving my potential on the table. And so that year I, I decided it was just like, I get through this. It's like, I'm going to see just how far, what are the limits of my potential? You know, it's like, I believe, you know, now it's like every day is an opportunity to strain our potential until it literally cries for mercy. I've worked out as of today, 636 days straight since my last surgery. And I had to take a week off because my doctor was like, don't do anything. Your esophagus needs to heal and blah, blah, blah. And since then I've trained and, and typically I will put in anywhere between 20 and 50 miles a day, biking and running. I'll do CrossFit. You know, I have a very disciplined routine that I get up and do every morning. And I did that, you know, 
for years prior, it's like I was always extremely self-disciplined when it came to um, training, but I realized my diet wasn't always probably the best. Obviously, traveling the world, you get tired, you have you have a limited amount of willpower. You know, you get to Sydney, Australia late one night and it's like next thing you know, you're eating everything out of the, you know, the snack bar and it's like, okay, those choices weren't awesome. Meanwhile, the next day you're trying to outwork your bad decisions. You can never out-train a bad diet. It's like, just give it up, folks. It's like your nutrition, your sleep, it's like a pyramid. Sleep is on the bottom, the nutrition. Your workout is just the tip of the spear that people see. You know, it's like, that's such a small part of it. Everything else is is the bigger part of the whole thing. And so, um, yeah, so it's it's really changed my mindset and who I am today. It's like, I'm such a more determined force. I think it's strengthened my mindset beyond measure. And um, and now it's, uh, yeah, it's like, I really love enduring hard things because I know at the end of the day, it's like, I've gone through things that are probably much worse. You know, it's like running um, um, uh, a 50K race on a three-week notice, just, you know, just to, to support a, a really awesome foundation and a friend of mine. You know, it's like friend people are like, you're not going to really, you haven't even trained for that. And I was like, yeah, but I've trained for two to three hours a day for, for almost two years now. It was like, the mindset is there. It's like, you got to see it to believe it. And it's like, I have, I have no doubt that my body can handle this. It's like, I just got to figure out the pace in which I do this, you know, and to stay focused on the process because I was like, guess what? This thing is going to end in about five hours. It's not going to go on for 365 days of suffering you know, and starving. And so, yeah, now it's like my goal with training is to help inspire other people with rare diseases. And I mentor so many folks with cancer and rare disease now, uh, just to, um, help them to see what's possible. You know, I've had, I've had folks approach me and ask me to be like their chief inspiration officer. Cause I'm always trying to put out positive stuff on, on, um, on LinkedIn and social channels of just what I learned by traveling into the depths of discomfort. And, and, you know, it's like I have this mantra and I train, I view my training session as like taking this intentional dive into this pain cave of discomfort. And when I get down to these extreme depths, when I'm exhausted, I'm depleted, I start exploring and tunneling and exploring new passageways. And then I have to make that long, arduous journey back to the top. And so my my workouts look like they're sandwiched and it's on purpose because it's that journey back to the top where your mental toughness is really strengthened. And that's where grit is really forged in my mind. And so when I get done with it, I train first and foremost for mental toughness. You know, it's like being able to run fast and, you know, do a world record, you know, Murph or whatever for CrossFit and stuff. It's like, that's all kind of a byproduct. To me, it's just, it's about... Enduring hard things because no matter what mountain you climb, there's going to be another one. And since I've went through that disease, my family, we've had, you know, many other crucibles that we've went through as a family and each one prepares you for the next. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's it's it goes kind of where we started, like the adaptability, right? The the higher we kept keep setting that bar, that can become the new baseline, like because our our mental, our physical is, is going to say, okay, how do I need to evolve to, to, to meet that demand that I put on myself? Right. Does that make sense? So like once we put those demands high, our body or mindset will adapt to it. You know, it will, because that's just how we've come to evolve to what we are. Like we've had to adapt to the demands around us. And as a result, it will, we will adapt. You, you just need to endure, persevere and, and, and be willing to go through it. 
Exactly. Yeah. You're so right. You know, it's like five years ago, you know, it's like I would train to go ride 50 miles and sometimes I'll ride 50 miles a day for 10 to 20 days straight in the morning. And then I'll run five miles a night because once your, your body adapts, you have to get, it's like, you know, doing some short little workout doesn't do it for you anymore. It's like, you have to go, <laughs> have to go so much further. You have to go to these extremes. And, um, I like it though, because training also not only develops my mind, it's like, that's a time that I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. It's a time for me to learn. It's about self-development. It's a time for, you know, turning off everything too, just being mindful. It's about, it's a time to think about the problems that I'm trying to solve for an organization. And, um, and to me, I need it, you know, it's like, to me, it's like in order to pour myself into others, I have to inflate my own balloon first. And so that's my morning is, is about powering myself up so I can pour into others. And then the evening I have another routine where I'll typically, you know, I might train for another hour or something, but it's really to give my family the best of me because I've been listening and advising and active listening is so exhausting. You know, it's so necessary, but advising, solving complex problems for companies all day. So in the evening at five o'clock, it's like, I'm still probably going to work that evening, but I'm going to take an hour, do a workout, take an Epsom salt bath, recharge, take some self-care so that I can walk down to my family who's having dinner, sit with them again and say, tell me about your day. What was great about today? Yeah. So you can be present, you know, with them. Exactly. I think people forget that. It's something I encourage people to do is just have that transition routine to to just release the tensions that you're coming out of and set the intentions of for what you're going into. Um, because if you just jump from one right to the other, you know, you're just carrying all this weight from the day. Like I encourage people to do that throughout their day, right? Like just, you know, have, have, take, take your 60 minute meetings and turn them into 50 minute meetings and give yourself that 10 minute of decompress and set yourself up for what you're going on to next. Like you walk into that next thing with so much more energy because if you don't do that, that whole eight to 12 hours a day of that grind, like it just compounds. And by the end of the day, you're just, just buried, uh, just mental exhaustion or whatever. But if you, if you take that time, take your 60 minute meetings and turn them into 50 meetings, take that, take that 10 minutes, take those half an hours and turn them into 25 minutes and do the same thing with that five minute in between, you can come home or or transition from work to to home or family with so much more energy um and 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 still go sleep at night right but your your mental faculties to be present and you know engaged is is so much more in tune i completely agree with you on that yep i completely agree i try to do that as well it's so so because especially in my age now and probably you dale it's like conservation of energy and my mental faculty, as you said, is so, so crucial, you know, cause that, that's what ultimately wears me out at the end of the day. It's like, I can go train, you know, and, and do four or five hours of training on a Saturday and I'm fine, but, you know, sitting in meetings and listening and, and having discussions all day that exhausts me. Like there's like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you keep the energy up? Like what is, what are some of the habits that, that help you keep the energy up and recharge? Yeah. So, um, I'm very, self-disciplined about my active recovery routine. So in the evenings, it's about, you know, it's like doing some sort of physical activity again. Sometimes it could be just like going for a walk with my wife, but I never miss having my um, uh, Epsom salt bath in the evening. It's a, it's a time for me to just recharge. It's like 20 or 30 minutes. Sometimes I'll meditate. Sometimes I just listen to the same simple song on repeat for 30 minutes and just veg out. And then I'll get out the massage gun 
use a massage gun. I'll stretch, do some yoga, uh, get on the foam roller. And, um, my nutrition is obviously locked in. So that that's a key part of it, but optimizing my sleep. And so sleep, it's like, you know, we, we spent some, some time in the last year and a half, because now that I get to sleep in a bed, you know, using a weighted blanket, making sure the temperature is set to like 65 degrees. We have blackout curtains, you know, it's, uh, that optimizing my sleep has enabled me to, you know, it's like train as, as much as I do and to recharge, to give my absolute best. And the other things I do as well, is like, like I go, love, love to go to the mountains and just go hike. I typically go alone. It's my time to recharge just to be in nature, you know, turn off. One of the things, you know, on, um, um, that I do to recharge is my phone goes into the do not disturb, uh, in the evenings after my final call, I don't take calls after six o'clock. And uh, it's like, and I don't get on another call till nine o'clock the next morning, unless it's something that's planned. Maybe it's like a call overseas, but that's, it's a time I'm like, I'm, I'm probably going to be working, but I'm not going to be in a meeting. I can assure you of that. I'm not going to be on the phone talking to anybody. And that helps so much because I don't have this dopamine kick to be checking anything. You know, it's just like, yeah, there it is. It's uh, you know, it's like, this is my time now. And so even when I get up to work out in the morning, I see no messages or anything because it's on that do not disturb. I have to intentionally dive into the phone to do that. Uh, so those are things that help me to, you know, just to stay uplifted. I also like to write that helps me to recharge, reflect going through that experience. I never realized the emotions that tied with it because I was just on the mission. You know, it's like I'm downrange on the mission right now. I got time to process this stuff. And then the next year I sit down and start reflecting on it. It's like, wow, that was an emotional roller coaster for sure. And so right. I'm trying to do now is write, write a book on my, you know, journey with Achalasia and, uh, um, the lessons I've learned and grit and resilience and stuff like that. Uh, so that other folks can hopefully take, you know, have some takeaways. And that's the hardest part of it is, is processing the emotions along with the story part, because the lessons are pretty straightforward. I consider now, although they weren't so apparent when I was going through it, but as I reflect back, it's like, wow, I did learn a lot about all this stuff. And, um, but it's, it's the emotions that are tied along with it. And I kept a lot of journals, um, wrote a lot while I was going. So I have a lot to go off of and putting that stuff together is, uh, is it can be challenging for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, going through all that, I mean, what do you, you went through a lot. Um, how would you describe, like, what are you most proud of, you know, related to the whole experience? I think being most proud is, uh, is prior to COVID, my family always have a offsite end of the year planning session for the, for the next year. So I do strategic planning sessions for companies. So run my family almost like a business, you know, it's like we set up first thing we do is time block all our vacations where we're going to go and all that stuff. But the kids always have to do a year in review. What books did they read? What were the biggest accomplishments? Who inspired them the most? And the thing I think I'm most proud of besides the fact that other people get to get the surgery, but that's really my wife and being proud of her for, you know, being my teammate, she was such an inspiration because she was so positive, bouncing back all the time as well through it all was having the kids get up and present. And when they got to the section on who inspired you the most during this year and to say, Oh, is our dad. And it was the same answer. They didn't work together. And, and yeah, that was, it, it about makes me cry down. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, setting the example is just the most powerful leadership trait there can be, man. That's, and thank you for sharing that. That's uh, if, yeah. if nothing else to be able to 
inspire your kids like that. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That was a, that, that one still touches me, you know, cause I always say it's like, you know, leadership is the most powerful form of influence and it, um, you know, even that year when I didn't think that they were paying attention, they were. Oh yeah. They're always paying attention. Don't think that parents don't think they aren't watching. They're watching. <laughs> <laughs> they're watching. You are their leader and they are watching your example every step of the way. Exactly. So, so to round it all out, man, you know, if you had to explain to someone what makes you successful, what, what would you tell them? I'd say never finish you. Never, ever once consider that you have arrived. It's like always be constantly improving and learning. It's like, that's been my mantra. You know, it's like I, my, my, one of my habits has been for, for decades now is a minimum of reading a book a week. And it doesn't probably seem like much, but you do that for 20, 30 years. And suddenly you have a fountain of knowledge that very few people have. And the thing is, I never stop learning. And I always look at every person as somebody I can learn from. What can I learn from this person? And so I think that's what's taken me the furthest in my career is having that insatiable appetite to just keep be curious and never considering yourself, you know, have reached the finish line. So yeah. never finish you. Never finish you. I love it, man. I love it. So how can people find you online and uh, get connected with you if they want to sync up? Yeah. Yeah. So pretty simple right now. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and then social Facebook, Instagram, uh, my handle on Instagram is Montus Man. Montus means mountain man. It's actually the name of my consulting. Montus is Latin for mountain. Uh, I just needed a, a quick name uh, years ago, and now it's kind of stuck. Uh, my wife calls herself Montus Babe, Mountain Babe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I'll have a website soon because I'm, I'm starting to do. Uh, I've been invited this year and, and last year prior to COVID to do uh, uh, motivational speaking. Uh, which is just an honor. And uh, considering I was voted the quietest kid in my high school uh, back in the day. And um, now it's a, it's just an absolute pleasure, you know, to pour into others and hopefully inspire them of, of what's possible because everybody has their journey, you know, what they're going through. So if I can get them some nugget of wisdom that they can use. Yeah, you certainly will. You dropped so much of them, so much of it here, man. I mean, just, just the power of your story and just the resilience of it, just, all your, your fortitude and your perseverance. I mean, it's just, it, I mean, it is, uh, just, it will serve people. I mean, and, and I'm glad you're out there putting it out there because, you know, people need to see, right. It's the whole Roger Bannister thing. It's, it's what we see in Goggins. It's like, just show us that it can be done and we'll accept it. Right. So just, you know, getting out there and showing people, you know, what we're capable of through your example, man. I think, I think it's awesome what you're doing. And, and, and I thank you for that. I thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Dale. It's been such a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, indeed. So, uh, and keep on keeping on. I know you and I are going to keep in touch. I appreciate all your support and, uh, until we talk again soon. Yeah.